0: My name is Samir Kalra, Managing Director with the Hindu American Foundation. Welcome to the That's So Hindu podcast. We're joined today by Sam Westrup, the Islamist Watch Director at the Middle East Forum, a think tank founded in 1994 that promotes American interests in the Middle East and protects Western values from Middle Eastern threats. He was previously Research Director at Americans for Peace and Tolerance and ran Stand for Peace a London-based counter-extremism organization monitoring Islamists throughout the UK. Mr. Westrup is a senior fellow at the Gatestown Institute. His writings have appeared in several publications, and he's appeared on dozens of television and radio station interviews. Against the horrific Hamas terror attack on Israeli civilians on October 7th and the ongoing war to eradicate Hamas in Gaza, Sam recently authored an investigative report on Hamas funding networks in the U.S., and how those networks have helped finance the radical terrorist activities. We're pleased to have Sam back on the podcast to talk about his new report and why all Americans, including Hindu Americans, should be very concerned about its findings. Welcome, Sam. It's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's a delight to be back.
0: So, Sam, you know, as in the case with most terrorist organizations, much of the funding comes through global networks and aligned charitable organizations. You followed that trail for Hamas in particular emanating from the US in a new investigative report and came upon some really disturbing conclusions. Can you at a broad level tell us about what you found?
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. So, um Hamas raises at a guess from from analysts who really focus on this stuff 2 to 3 billion dollars a year. It's a lot of money. At least five hundred million dollars of that is estimated to come from a global network of charitable supporters uh, of the uh, of Hamas, which, as you know, in the US is a designated terrorist organization. Um, it's unclear how much of that five hundred million, and I imagine the true figure is a lot more than that, comes from the United States. But that said, our investigation found twenty plus charities with evidence of ideological sympathies for for Hamas, if not actual logistical collaboration with Hamas. Uh, Now, these are registered nonprofits, uh, registered 501c3s and other 501c types that are operating using the American charitable nonprofit system to their advantage, taking advantage of uh, tax subsidies, taking advantage of uh, all the benefits that nonprofit status affords, taking advantage in some cases of federal funding, and most importantly, taking advantage of over $260 million of income that we found moving through the 501c system to these charities. Now, the point about these charities, we've identified these 20 charities that we refer to as Hamas Aligned, is that they then do one of several things with these vast sums of money. Uh, They work with Hamas proxies in the Gaza Strip. And by proxies, I mean organizations That operate in cahoots with Hamas, or even in some instances run by Hamas officials. Or two, they work directly with Hamas, with the Ministry of Health, uh, and so on. Or three, they work with other terrorist organizations that are themselves uh, closely supportive of Hamas. So the US, the nonprofit system, is a major player in international terror finance laundering, as we see it. Um, And Hamas is the example we have focused on because of world events. But one thing I should make clear right now is this is not limited to the Gaza Strip. For radical violent movements all around the world, they rely on Western charitable systems to raise money, to exploit benevolence for their own terror activities. And this is a long-standing problem. Uh, and what we have found, I fear, is just the very tip of the iceberg.
0: And, and you use the term aligned charities, um, I guess there are probably different levels of how we would define alignment. Can you talk about how you maybe divide that up? And I you, you I think you briefly referenced the different categories of some of these organizations and where they would fall in. But maybe talk about that, um, because, you know, some may detractors may say, well, you know, these are some charities that are trying to do good work they don't know necessarily where their money is going, or they don't know that the end recipient may be Hamas, because there may be a proxy, or there may be another intermediary organization in between. So to what extent, um, first of all, are they aligned with Hamas, and how would you define that in this context?
1: Okay, so when we talk about these charities being aligned with Hamas, we were careful to use that language, because as I sort of hinted at before, this collaboration or support takes a wide variety of forms, and we're not always aware of how conscious, as you, I think you sort of the word you use, uh, some of these efforts are. Uh, and but by that I mean, does Hamas know these charities are their charities? Does these charities think they are part of Hamas? That that's what I'm talking about. That's not always clear. What does hold true for all of these charities is that they are willing to fund things that ultimately, ultimately, they know benefits this designated terrorist organization. So there is a distinct awareness that what they're doing benefits terror. Uh, that I'm, I'm uh, uh, fairly sure we can show in every single case. And I think our report goes a, a good way to, to doing that. Let me just give you a few examples. Uh, I, I think that's the best way way to do it. Um, take, for instance, Pious Projects new charity, not many have heard of it, based in Illinois. Um, It's a fundraiser for a very hardline mosque, with a long history of Hamas support, run by senior Hamas figures in the past. Um, And Pius Project openly announced that they had given Gaza's Hamas-run Ministry of Health $50,000 for medical supplies. They announced this proudly on their Instagram, on their Facebook. When we pointed this out, I'd note they deleted this 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 claim, but we you know we have the backups, we have the photos. So what happened is this charity, in collaboration, by the way, with another five hundred one c, gave Hamas fifty thousand dollars in return for medical supplies that then Hamas distributed to, to their own hospitals in the Gaza Strip. So in other words, we're paying Hamas to distribute their own medical supplies. This is what these what these charities are are doing. So that's one example of a very conscious collaboration with Hamas. Now the legality of that is kind of up for debate because there are a huge number of humanitarian exceptions to some of our foreign designation terror rules to OFAC sanctions and all these things. But whatever way you look at it, they're working with the Hamas government. Um, If you then look at their ideological sympathies, this collaboration no longer looks just humanitarian. Um, For instance, their founder, this chap called Fahim Araf, he's the head of Pius Project, He works very closely with uh, Hamas, uh, pro-Hamas activists in the Gaza Strip, doing Facebook live videos with them, with these these people who call for jihad and uh, I think are even close relations of senior Hamas ministers. I think you get the the point here, is that even when these charities can plausibly argue that they're doing the only thing they can to alleviate the suffering of Palestinians, they're doing it in cahoots with people who are ideologically pro-Jihad, pro-Hamas, pro-terror. Um, I'll give you one more example uh, of a slightly different thing. Take Beitelmao, Charity in Texas, not so far from where I am now. Um, Mao was founded by prominent activists from the Muslim Brotherhood. In fact, its founder was accused by the US federal government of, of serving as a, 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 a pro-Hamas operative. Uh, at one point during a a long series of of lawsuits. Uh, Today, it's run by a chap called Mazen Mokhtar, He was prosecuted by the federal government because he was a fundraiser for the Taliban and other jihadist groups. He now runs this charity, Baitul Mao. Its officials include vicious anti-Semites who publish stories on social media romanticizing the killing of of Jews and so on. Meanwhile, other staff praise Hamas operatives and Hamas leaders and so on. They fund, Vital Mao, fund two or or three proxies of Hamas. Uh, groups run by Hamas officials or which work with senior Hamas officials, which are accused by many different sources and even by Palestinians themselves of serving as Hamas proxies. So there's a variety of activities here, and Hamas aligned was the way we choose to try and encapsulate all of it. Um, uh, I recommend uh, listeners go read the report for themselves. We We provide everything we can, all these details, all the sources, so you can check this out for yourself. We didn't include a charity on that list unless we could show at some point that its trustees or partners had consciously partnered or, or expressed support for Hamas uh, uh, and its terror activities in the Gaza Strip.
0: No, no, thank you for that breakdown. And I think, you know, for our listeners, I would vouch for the meticulousness of the research that Sam does. Um, you know, I've, you know, seen many of his other reports in, um, in general and without question. I mean, the research is very detailed, very meticulous. And I think what strikes me, um, especially in this case, is that they don't hide, you know, these affiliations or their ideological bent. And so what it seems to me is that even if they're not violating specific US laws, um, some of the charities, I mean, some, I think very clearly fall into that category, but even for the ones that not, uh, that don't, they are very clearly, openly and proudly, ideologically aligning themselves with Hamas or Hamas-like groups or the concept, as you mentioned, of jihad. And so it begs the question, is that is our, the system that is set up here in the US with the 501c3 system, how, why are we benefiting those that are spewing hatred, fomenting violence and ideologically aligning themselves with that type of activity, um, even if it falls short of violating the law. That seems to be a problem in the system itself.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And the U.S. is not unique uh, in this regard uh, across the world, especially in the West. Charitable systems are exploited regularly by extremist movements. And this, has been, this is not just Islamism we're talking about here as well. The far left has done it. The far right has done it. The, the Ku Klux Klan had charities that it used to advances its goal. And and I think one key point here to make is that charity is key to extremism uh, because extremism needs grassroots support uh, if they're to grow. And one of the most effective ways to build grassroots support is to show yourself as a more benevolent alternative to the government you oppose. So for example, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, um, yes, it set up shop in mosques, but it also started setting up uh, medical clinics. It started distributing medicine to poor villages across Egypt. It built a name for itself as uh, not just a revival of Islamic thought, but also as a proficient and uncorrupt or incorruptible uh, uh, political force that could replace the, the nightmare of secular Arabism that they, they opposed in Egypt. And the same was true for Islamists around the world. In Mali, Al Qaeda when they took over parts of those villages, they didn't start executing initially. They started handing out food and medicine. They wanted to win the hearts and minds, to, to use uh, uh, that's a slightly questionable phrase. Um, same is true in the Gaza Strip. Hamas came to power because it built the orphanages. It funded the martyrs, orphans, and families. It, it housed the, the homeless and fed the hungry. And it did that while the secular or more secular rivals, Fatah and the PLO, embezzled millions from Western governments in aid. So Hamas was the, the honest alternative to the corrupt Arabist. So all around the world, charity is used to do this. And the, the reason I went into this backstory is that the West offers a perfect means for them to raise this money from an increasingly wealthy middle-class Muslim diaspora uh, in the West. And so this happens all across uh, uh, Europe and all across America. And for years now in, in Europe, governments have been running inquiries saying, my God, our charitable system is funding terror. Uh, We've got to do something about this. But they can never quite bring themselves to do something about this. Yes, occasionally a charity is shut down. In Britain, increasingly, I see examples of the charity commission there, removing a particular trustee from a charity and, and placing in an interim manager. But then six months later, the the extremist charity just says, we've elected new trustees, you can trust us now. And the government says, okay, great, go back at it. I saw a, a charity commission report a few years ago. Um, in fact, it was a result of my research. Um, uh, they visited a Shia Islamist uh, charity in uh, northwest London. Uh, and, and they noted in this report, which was then published as part of their sort of, six-monthly review, Oh, we noticed while we were there that while all the books seemed in order, they did seem to have a portrait of the leader of a designated terrorist organization on their wall. Now, if it's the charity I'm fairly sure they're referring to, as unnamed, this would have been the leader of Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah. I know exactly the charity they, they were visiting. Um, and what did they decide to do? Despite realising that a British charity, which benefits from British taxpayer dollars and other government subsidies, and uses the British charitable system to advance its goal, was apparently set up to support Hezbollah, or at the very least had a sodding picture of the head of the terrorist organization on their office wall. They handed it a pamphlet on how to manage risks in your charity. That was the only thing the British government could do. And you would think that would change with the crisis of domestic radicalization, thousands of, of Western Muslims running to join ISIS and other terror groups. No, there's a there's a certain there's a cowardice on behalf of Western governments to really face this issue and, and implement fundamental change. And one of the problems is, if you're going to go after the Islamists, you've also got to go after hundreds, if not thousands of Western charities, also with political agendas, maybe not as violent, maybe just political agendas, that are also misusing the charitable system to advance that goal. Philanthropy, as I mentioned before, benefits political activists of all stripes. And if you're going to have a truly benevolent charitable system, actually the best way to do this, and the only equitable way to do this, is to go after all of those political forces that are for misusing uh, the system. So this is a huge problem for Western governments, but it requires a bit of grit, and they don't have that. Now, there's one last thing to say, and that's in the US. The IRS takes a very laissez-faire view towards exploitation of the charitable system. Yes, the US government has shut down charities in the past for supporting terror, but they'd only follow criminal cases and designations. If they come across a charity, such as one of the charities we've profiled in our report, and the officials of that charity are saying, kill the Jews, wipe them out, as, as one official we found in our report said, the IRS will do nothing. They don't regard that as their business. As long as this charity is reporting its activities and filling out its 990 tax return, they don't care. Uh, there, isn't, there isn't this sort of uh, moral policing of, of charitable uh, responsibility in the US. Now, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people would actually kind of welcome government taking a step back and not imposing thought, but you can also see the huge downside to not doing anything there. As i say fundamental change is needed and there are a couple of things that i think we can do and we can get on to that about about how that could uh, take place
0: no absolutely and before we get there though you know i think there's one thing about you know misusing the system and getting money from individual donors but as you highlighted in your report this goes much deeper than that in in the sense that a lot of these charities were getting both corporate funding as well as government grants themselves. So now we're talking about not just let's utilize the, the system and let's take advantage of individual donations, but getting, you know, large corporate grants or getting government federal government grants, which is us taxpayer funded. It takes this to a whole new level. And I was just looking at the report and we're not talking about, you know, a couple hundred dollars here and there, a couple 1000 thousands. We're talking about millions of dollars um so maybe talk a little bit about that aspect of it and how that um you know how these networks and coalitions or groups actually are able to take advantage of those that level of funding and from those types of sources yeah so we found over
1: 260 million flowing through the charitable uh the 501c system this doesn't include foreign uh grants from foreign or canadian for example corporate foundations or european ones this is just american 501Cs donating to these pro-Hamas, these Hamas aligned 501Cs. We found over 260 million. Some of the biggest donors on that list are names people all across America will recognize. Um, Fidelity, Schwab, um, the Bill Gates Foundation, PayPal, um, all sorts of uh, uh, major household names, uh, household brands, sorry, and corporate brands with, with charitable arms. However, um, some of that is then corporate social responsibility and other sort of corporate charitable giving ideas. Some of it is employee giving schemes, maybe employer matching donations made by their employees. Some of it is donor advised funds. Um, uh, people like Fidelity operate that that kind of thing or the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, a massive donor advised fund for some of Silicon Valley's most wealthy billionaires, including Mark Zuckerberg and, and so on. And they, they fund Islamists. So does all these other charities I mentioned. So there's a huge variety here of, uh, uh, as I said, household brand names putting money into this stuff. Now, I don't think there's any indication these charities, for the most part, know what they're funding. Uh, Someone tells them this is a good charity to fund. They say, sure, we'll fund it. Because if it's a registered charity, it must be good, goes the thinking. And as I said, this is the entire problem of the charitable system and why it's so useful for a few minutes, because it implies... Uh, uh, moral benevolence, just by virtue of being a charity, when it really the opposite is the case. Now, as you say, we're talking about millions here. So, for instance, Fidelity has handed over that we found at least eleven point four million to some of these Hamas-aligned groups over the last few years. Um, similar huge. I mean, Bill Gates Foundation over one point seven million, uh, Schwab over four point one million. And you know, your, your your listeners can go and check out the full raw data for themselves if they want. It's on uh at our report which is at islamism.news and they can search through it and see if if companies they use uh if if financial institutions in which they invest are funding these pro-terror groups uh, and i'm almost certain most of you will find that they are i'm sorry to say uh this is a huge problem and the last thing i'll point out is that the data we have is not comprehensive this money that's 260 million we scrape this from electronically filed tax returns but uh, non-profits have only started filing electronically in the last few years, so if I were to take all the paper to file tax returns of the last thirty, I'm sure the figure we're talking about would be double, triple, quadruple the amount we found, and even more brands, even more companies would be would be on that list. Uh, so one last thing to point out is that yeah, I mentioned all these corporate groups, or these financial institutions, but of course our data also shows a lot of money moving from. A dedicated Islamist grant-making foundations set up to support these groups. And now the next step for us is following this a stage further of seeing where these grant-making foundations are getting their money from and, and so on. But there's also other groups in there. Other charities, non-Muslim charities, are donating to these Islamist groups. Um, I was surprised to see quite a few, a couple of Mormon charities on the list, uh, moving money to Islamists. That surprised me. I, I, I've seen Jewish charities. I've seen Christian charities. Um, People are fools when it comes to the charitable system. They don't understand, they don't look at who they're funding. They see the words hungry Palestinian refugees and they give millions, not pausing for a second to think that this might fund the rape and slaughter of Israeli women and children uh, uh, in events like October 7th. So, you know, I'm calling for reform of the 501c system, but I'm also calling for more scepticism on behalf of you, the, the listeners who give. Make sure you know what you're donating to, because if the Ford Foundation and Bank of America and PayPal, with all their millions of of billions of dollars and their huge numbers of staff, don't apparently have the time, despite having full-time professional staff, to research who they're funding, then my God, how does the ordinary person have have that time? But I'm telling you now, it's worth it, because it's too easy to fund a radical agenda uh uh and operating under the guise of philanthropy in this country uh, you need to take some time and look at these organizations that are claiming charitable status
0: yeah uh, no it's i mean i was just absolutely blown away and i think it just speaks to the lack of a vetting process or a very weak vetting process that a lot of these companies or others have in place where you know beyond where the donations are going i mean even the organizations that are getting approved for employee matching programs um, and not looking deeper into them from the outset before the donations are even able to be, you know, go through any programs is just really mind boggling. And beyond that, government grants, um, USAID, um, Agency for International Development, I saw prominently mentioned in a number of instances, um, as well as, and, you know, as recently as 2023. So this is not something that, you know, happened many years ago. This is something that's continuing to happen now. Um, maybe if you can just talk briefly about how the government grant uh, making system is enabling these charities or Hamas-aligned charities to get money, money as well.
1: So I'm sorry to say, like with the 501c grants, the amount of federal funding we uncovered, um, uh, which is around 100 million, is likely a small slither of the true amounts. This is for several reasons. One, a federal government. Publication of their spending data is very unreliable. I keep coming across grants that don't exist in the data that should. So I don't know the true amount. It's probably a lot more. This also is only federal. The amount of money is coming from city and state governments towards these groups is significant. And we've just started looking at this and trying to get this data in places like New York, in states like Massachusetts, Illinois. We're seeing millions and millions and millions go to these. Radical groups, and they might be Islamists with their eyes on uh, supporting Hamas. This might be Islamists on their eyes of supporting lashkar e and jamaat islami in South Asia. All uh, manner of extremists benefit from this stuff. So there's a lot going on. We only know about a bit of it. I'll tell you this: um, of yeah, we found 100 million in federal monies going to these these Hamas-aligned charities, um, Oh, authorized. I should add for these Hamas-aligned charities. Uh, government records are so incomplete; it's a little difficult to tell how much of the money authorized actually ends up. But either way, either way, it's in the tens and tens of millions. So this is significant amounts of, of taxpayers' money, of your money, that is, is funding these groups. Um, surprisingly, federal spending has got worse and worse and worse over the last few years. And, and the, the, the thing that always seems to surprise people is that it was at its worst under Trump. It was under the Trump administration that the federal government started funding um, groups like CARE, which has its eyes on, you know, has its eye directed towards India, towards Israel, and, and long, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar <laughs> with the group, um, uh, it started funding groups like or Islamic Relief, or it continued funding and, and expanded funding to Islamic Relief, major terror charity, uh, and so on. Uh, groups like the Islamic Circle of North America, very important to the South Asian Islamist Movement, Humanity islami got a lot of money under Trump. Um The Biden administration has continued funding these groups. Um, uh, The problem is each successive administration increases the funding, and that seems to be the new subsistence level amount of funding that goes to these Islamist charities from the federal government for for successive uh, uh, administrations. So the direction of spending increases, increases, increases every year, and it's terrifying, uh, because now they're actually taking our money to fund these extremists, who then in turn subsidize terror. Um, There's a huge amount to look at here. The one silver lining is that this is also an area that seems to outrage people the most of all our findings. Um, And it's the one area where perhaps we can get the Congress and um, policymakers and, and journalists to actually start holding government to account. Uh, and there's two areas where we can do this. One is, is working with you know congressional committees like Oversight or Senate Finance, those who have uh, a financial interest in how the executive spends your money um, and getting them to do things about it. And October 7th has started to push a few investigations in this direction, uh, Ways and Means Committee, Uh, just held a a hearing on campus antisemitism and pro Hamas rhetoric. The issue of government subsidy came up a bit then and so on, and it's come up in other hearings as well. So that's one side of things. But where we're really missing is on the state side. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge problem with media in this country. Um, Local media, for some reason, doesn't report local news for reasons that I've never quite understood. Uh, When I buy the Dallas Morning News or the Boston Globe or the San Francisco Chronicle, most of their news is national or international, really. And aside from the art section, there's very little looking at what government is doing with local money. if if as a uh, you know if 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 I'm in California and i'm I'm uh, paying money to the San Francisco city government, it's pretty important for me to know that that money is not going into the hands of extremists. and unfortunately, San Francisco, San Francisco newspapers do not vet government spending. When we start to look at this stuff, we see a huge amount to be terrified about, huge amounts of money going to some of the worst extremist, anti Hindu, anti Jewish, extreme radical forces all the time and millions of dollars, and no one else is doing this. So the answer to this, I think, is well, one, working with state legislators, that can help. Two, applying pressure on the media to start focusing. But three, doing it yourself. Find your local government, find your city government, find your state government. Ask them for their list of expenditures by vendor, by contractor over the past few years. Some of them publish this automatically online. Others, you have to ask for it. Ask for that list and go through it. Look for charities that, that you know or a list we can provide that we know fund extremism and fund terror. They're all over America. We track thousands of nonprofits in this country that have extremists. Uh, uh, sympathies, and at least 400 of those are tied to some of the, the movements we've mentioned today, Hamas, Jamaat-e-Islami, Muslim Brotherhood, and so on. There's a lot to do. So the more that ordinary citizens can assist at this, the, the more we can hold government to, to account, because right now, the Western government is the largest funder of nonviolent extremism in the world. Uh, it's extraordinary how much money we are giving to people who want to kill us.
0: No, absolutely. And I think some good concrete steps that you laid out there. Um, I want to pick up on something you mentioned in terms of the media and their reportage or non-reportage on some of these um, issues and kind of pull it back a little bit in terms of. So we we talked about how these funding networks and charities are providing actual money to fund these, you know, Hamas and Hamas aligned um, organizations or proxies. I think another aspect of it is how are these networks or charities in the US actually helping with the propaganda and maybe influencing through lobbying efforts? Because with the 501c3 status, you can obviously do a certain limited amount of lobbying within federal regulations. Um, Because we saw, you know, after October 7th, the narrative and the propaganda very quickly shifted from a lot of sympathy towards Israel initially to you know a lot of pro and what i would blatantly call it pro hamas um narrative that kind of played out not just hey we're we're sympathetic for you know palestinians the the average palestinian that may be suffering due to hamas's actions but Mm -hmm. actually pro hamas propaganda and sentiment maybe if you can talk a little bit about how these networks help support that um you know the, the propaganda efforts as well as lobbying um legislators and policymakers on some of these issues
1: yeah. So I tend to think of the Hamas um, infrastructure in the West as falling into two camps. On the one hand, you have the logistical financial side, the things we've already mentioned, the charities, but then also an array of accountancy firms, lawyers and so on. Things that people that operate behind the scenes to get stuff done that ultimately financially or politically or logistically benefits. Hamas. that's one side. And we have discussed some of it. The other side is, is the ideological side, or as you, I think, uh, the better word for it, you to use is, is propaganda side. These people advance Hamas's interests publicly. Uh, they're the ones who want to uh, advance Hamas's narrative and undermines Israel's narrative. In fact, for different Islamist groups and movements around the world, similar forces exist and a similar division of labor uh, exists. So. The most obvious example in the u s. right now, I think, is American Muslims for Palestine and its campus Organization Students for Justice in Palestine, although there's lots of spin-offs and related groups attached to those those two groups. and they've they've had a bit of attention over the last uh, month from media, from Congress. There's been a lot of talk about it. I will say that they deserve attention. I will say that uh, where the media does talk about the Hamas problem, it tends to overfocus on this ideological propaganda side. And I'm glad they focus on it, but I sure wish they'd move their attention to the sort of financial support infrastructure as well, because you need to fight both if you're going to push back against Hamas's operations here. But that said, as you pointed out, you know, there's, there's been a some distinct movement in public opinion on this question. And a lot of that, I think, is due to the efforts of groups like Americans for Muslims of Palestine. Now, Americans for Muslims of Palestine is currently the target of a lawsuit in Chicago or in Illinois. Um, by a family called the Boym family. Uh, One of the reasons the Boym family is suing them is the Boyms lost a child to a Hamas terror attack uh, many decades ago. And they sued Hamas's main voice in the United States at the time, what was called the Islamic Association of Palestine. That's since been shut down because it was an overt Hamas financing organization. And they sued and won, but then it was shut down. And so they never, there was nothing to, to collect from. There was no organization left uh, by the end of their trial, so they are now suing Americans for Muslims of Palestine on the grounds that this group A and P is an alter ego of Islamic Association of Palestine. In other words when Islamic Association of Palestine was shut down by the federal government, it simply reformed under this new name, American Muslims for Palestine. Yeah. And judges have made sympathetic noises towards the evidence so far. Uh, and so that's, a, that's a, a case to watch with, with interest. But the, the evidence is pretty convincing. There's a lot of overlap. They share officials, the old Hamas group IAP, some of their officials went on to work for AMP, Americans for Muslims in Palestine. They shared donors, various charities, some of which listed in our report, to give money once IAP, now AMP, and so on. So there's a lot to, to, uh, uh, I, I think it's a convincing case that they are essentially the successor to the Hamas networks in the United States of the 1990s and 2000s that the federal government shut down. They've been particularly particularly successful on campus, um, and their student branch, Students for Justice in Palestine, has made a lot of noise. Um, they came out overwhelmingly, most branches in support of the October 7th attacks, posting sort of uh, images praising the hang gliders that Hamas used to mm-hmm. to go over the the border fence and so on um uh they're pretty reprehensible interestingly though of course they're not entirely islamist even though they're islamist guided. you know there's a lot of far left and other activists involved as well they're particularly difficult to deal with as well um uh, a couple of universities have shut down sjb's chapters in the last few months because of their pro terror stance. it's not a very effective tactic these these are students what is what is a student group that's just a name for a, a group of people. So as soon as that name shut down, they just reform under another name. And we're seeing that happen in campuses where they're they're there. Financing is also very difficult to track for them because they tend not to be incorporated organizations as student bodies. They're just a club that was registered with the university or in some cases not registered with the university. In other words, uh, it's difficult to track. It's difficult to stop. The best thing you can do to tackle this ideological onslaught and propaganda is go after the money at the very top. Uh, going right back to where we started, this 501c problem, all of this money moving through the nonprofit system, funding on one hand, yes, these pro mass charities that we've discussed, these are mass-aligned charities, but on the other hand, money then dripping down to the campus and assisting paying for these students' expenses, SJPs' expenses, funding AMPs' conferences. And if you take a look into our raw data, one of the things you'll see isn't all this money I've mentioned, the corporate money and so on, funding all these charities, but also these charities funding each other, these uh, Hamas-aligned charities funding each other. Islamic Relief, for example, moves. Huge amounts of money, millions. It's one of the the biggest funders in the Muslim community to all its different campus groups and to lots of smaller charities operating locally that are partnering with Americans, Muslims for Palestine and student groups and so on. There's a huge amount of extremely convoluted crisscrossing of financial transactions and money and exchanges. And not all all of it is is money, by the way. There's often non-cash contributions as well, which I take to mean material, especially student material for handing out on campus, books, pamphlets, that kind of thing. This is a massive operation. Uh, I mean, if I take all the money of radical 501Cs in this country and, and, and check their latest revenue uh, in their filed 990s, we get up to the uh, to the billions pretty quickly uh, in this country. It's it's a huge billion-dollar industry, um, and so reform is needed. And once you deal with that side of things, I think the propaganda side, the AMP, the SJP, will begin to collapse uh, as a result, at least that's my hope. And it's as far I can see our, our best approach.
0: Wow. Well, a lot of this sounds very reminiscent, I think, of the conversation we had a few years ago when we were talking about the funding networks and the propaganda in the context of jamaat the islami which, of course, is a Muslim Brotherhood-inspired south asian islamist extremist organization and their us-based you know um, charitable organizations such as as you mentioned islamic circle of north america you know what i'm curious about is in this larger ecosystem did you find overlap in terms of funding sources between jamaat the islami affiliated groups and hamas affiliated groups and how is that maybe incestuous relationship if you will work um in terms of you know very shared ideological uh missions and views but in operating different um areas of the world yeah so Jumanzi islami came
1: after the muslim brotherhood but from the very beginning there was close collaboration between the two forces and that continues today through the 501c system as 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 well uh and in fact our list includes I think almost all of the charities we discussed a few years ago when we were talking about financing, Islamist financing in South Asia. Uh, Take Muslim Aid, a British charity, but with a branch here in the United States. Uh, it was set up by Chowdhury Muinuddin, who was convicted in absentia in Bangladesh for his role in, in, in war crimes, uh, committing war crimes in the 1971 Bangladesh Liberation War. Um, Muslim Aid funds Al khidmat, in Pakistan, which in turn funds Hamas. Muslim Aid has admitted in the past to funding Hamas proxies in the Gaza Strip, admitted to it, it, sort of it, it conceded it had. Um, uh, Muslim Aid operates not just in Gaza, but it still today operates in India, despite its terror connections. It boasts of its operations in India. and um, We talk about overlap. I, I go so far as to say that really it's worth seeing these networks as one as the same the 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 collaboration has gone on for decades the money they receive and spend is so intertwined and uh, and, and work so closely together that really we're essentially dealing with one network here uh muslim brotherhood and e islami charities at least financially when it comes to the disbursement of charitable aid that serves to benefit terror and, and extremist uh, uh forces is is almost one and the same in the West now, and it would do us well to, to, to consider them as such. I'll give you a few other examples. Helping Hand for Relief and Development, mm. I think that's the main one we discussed last time, because you know, we caused it in 2017, partnering with Lashko and Taiba. Um, uh, and again, they they claim to have partnered over 200 times with Al-Khizmat, Jamati Islami's charitable branch in Pakistan, which, has, as I mentioned before, openly boasts on its website about funding Hamas, and I quote, for its just jihad. So, uh, But then take the uh, more Muslim Brotherhood charities, Islamic Relief USA, um, founded by Muslim Brotherhood, major partner of Hamas proxies. Its, it's founder, Hani al uh, went on Hamas radio a few years ago to praise collaboration between charity and government, that precise phenomenon we were talking about. Islamic Relief also works with Jamaat-e-Islami in Pakistan. There are officials in, in Pakistan, includes Jamaat-e-Islami officials. They also operate in India, by the way, uh heavily uh, operate in India. Uh I think just in its last tax return, or it might have been 2019, uh, they boasted about spending over a million dollars uh that year alone in uh, Indian Indian, char- which is small money for Islamic relief, which raises hundreds of millions of dollars a year, but you can do a lot of damage with a million dollars uh, on extremist forces in in a, in a country. And so there's plenty more. And, and the point I'm trying to make is that all these charities, Muslim Brotherhood and um Uh, jamaat islami are, yes, funding Hamas in Gaza, but they're also funding Jamaat in Pakistan, and some of the revolt Lashkar-Taiba in Pakistan, and that's just the ones we know about. Uh, One more example is AMP, which we mentioned before, the propaganda face of Hamas in the United States. Well, their head is Hatham Bazia, who, when he's not uh, directing Hamas-aligned rhetoric here in the United States, is at Berkeley, where he is directing the Islamophobia Studies Project. And what is his main focus? At the islamophobia studies project it is india It is going after india as the prime driver of islamophobia in the world that is his shtick that is his 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 big campaign over the last few years he's done this with support from the turkish regime and other radical islamist countries as well that give him a platform give him money so so the point i i, I to, to reiterate is that this is all overlapping this is all connected and when we fight islamist extremism Uh, In India or or, or extremism that that is directed at India, we're also fighting the Islamist extremism aimed at Israel and indeed Islamist extremism here in the the streets of London, of New York, of Paris and so on. Um, uh, This is one global movement, uh, albeit with a lot of sub branches that have their own characteristics and, and to some extent finances and infrastructure. But the collaboration is so strong now. Uh, and the exploitation of the 501C system is so cooperatively engineered that we have to respond as if they were one movement as well. There's a lot for us to do.
0: No, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, for our listeners, first of all, I think Hetam Abazian, that name is definitely a familiar one. Um, we've all heard it many times before in his attacks on um, on India demonizing Hindus, of course. Um, you know. But a couple of questions, I think, before we wrap up that I, uh, I wanted to touch on. One is that, you know, as you can try to take on and expose these networks, um, you know, and this is something that I think many organizations and individuals um, deal with is just the accusation of Islamophobia, um, you know. And I think you have done a good job of separating, you know, Islamist, which is the political um, extremist movement that, you know, uh, is separate from the religion of Islam. But just, I guess, in terms of like the current situation um, with Hamas and kind of your new report and how you deal with this, how do you address, uh you know, one, the accusations about, you know, uh, oh, you're Islamophobic and number two, making sure that it doesn't impinge on those, you know, ordinary Muslims that have nothing to do with any of these funding networks and want nothing to do with them in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've long, my colleagues and I, frequently accused of Islamophobia. Um, There are problems with the word. Its origins are interesting and are worthy of a whole other discussion. Um, But at the very least, if you consider it just to be anti-Muslim, invective, anti-Muslim ideas, then yeah, I mean, that's something to oppose. Uh, And we draw a distinction at the Middle East Forum between Islam and Islamism. At the very least, we surely must all agree that ordinary Muslims are not to blame for the actions of Islamist um, movements, Islamist groups. Um, uh, that is clear. Now, uh, is that to say that there aren't uh, uh, questions about Islam and its ability to tolerate moderation or reform or to grow or to change and so on? Sure, every religion should be, should be criticised with uh, a strong degree of scrutiny um, uh, as such but islamism is distinct in the sense that while it may be drawn from islam and 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 its basis is in islamic certain islamic ideals it has created its own ideology on top of that it has come up with its own literature, its own ideologues, its own theories. I mean, take, for example, Islamist economics. They literally had to invent in the last hundred years hundreds of new ideas just to make it work because the origins in in original Islamic thought just weren't there. So Islam and Islamism is separate. And it's possible, in fact, to oppose both in a way, you know, if you want to be anti-Islam, sure. But at the very least, you know, you would also recognize that Islamism is a distinct force to be opposed to. We're not anti-Islam. We work with too many Muslims who oppose Islamism. We work with uh, and fund and employ uh, Muslim uh, activists and writers who have spent their life dedicated to pushing extremism out of their communities and advancing a more uh, moderate view uh, of, of Islam and warning of the dangers of theocracy. As we see it, if we're going to defeat radical Islam, then moderate Islam must be the solution. It must be part of the solution. It can't be done without them. And we should do all we can to champion those genuine moderates um islamophobia is leveled at us by the islamists precisely because they want to homogenize islam as one they want to pretend that they are the true representatives of ordinary muslims because if they can prove or or convince people that we're islamophobic because we're criticizing them then that must mean we're criticizing them as muslims so it's in their interest to deny the distinction between islam and islamism it's something they share in fact with the far right in this country they both deny this distinction uh, in truth the distinction is clear not just to us but to millions billions of muslims or a billion muslims around the world um i was just reading today uh, a paper by an islamist voice talking about the development of islamism from islam so this distinction is well understood by anyone who's willing to publicly uh, admitted, I'm sure if your listeners start to do some of the things I'm hoping we can all do, which is to challenge government on its funding of of, of extremists in your community, get media investigate. I'm sure at some point someone will call you an Islamophobe. Uh, don't engage with that. You know, work with Muslims where you can, and keep your rhetoric firmly focused on the Islamists. Uh, don't legitimise this word any further. My suggestion is to ignore these charges. They're baseless and ludicrous, and they're being used to distract from the extremism of Islamist activities.
0: No, I think that's very important advice. And I think, you know, we, of course, at the Hindu American Foundation and many other organizations, I think, agree with that distinction. And, um, you know, we're all focused on the extremist movement of Islamism. Um, as opposed to Islam or Muslims uh, more broadly. So I think that's good guidance and advice. And I think that kind of brings us to our last question here, which is you outline a few steps that individuals can take um, to kind of confront this whole um, issue, which is really the reforms that are necessary within the 501c3 system. Uh, But what would you suggest in terms of steps that policymakers law enforcement federal agencies themselves need to initiate whether that's at the irs level whether that's from an investigative perspective from the doj level or whether that's a policymaker at the state federal level or even local level in terms of you know providing that oversight um what are some things that they need to do and they need to focus on
1: yeah i mean there's two big um things i think that we're trying to focus on and we'll be focusing on over the next year at the Middle East world one is enforcing existing law. Uh, so, and, and you know, Congress and you know, state assemblies as well have a role to play here. When if government and law enforcement have the tools to fix this, but they choose not to enforce existing law, that's obviously a huge error. And so, uh, legislators can can help correct that. What do I mean by enforce existing law? Well, take our report. One of the examples we provide is a charity called Rakhma Worldwide. Rakhma Worldwide openly on its social media, we found paraded its collaboration with a group called the RIHS. Uh, In fact, it even had shirts made where it had its logo next to the RIHS logo. Now, what is the RIHS? It's a designated terrorist organization under US law. And there was a registered 541C charity phrasing and celebrating its partnership with this group. They are breaking the law, by doing this. Enforcing existing law means that de- when, when when American organizations work with designated terrorist groups, they are falling afoul of terror finance laws. And there was a financial relationship, by the way, between these two organizations. So that's one, making sure counter-terror laws are, are enforced. There's also the question of Foreign Agent Registration Act, or FARA. There are a lot of people in this country operating on behalf of regimes such as Pakistan, Turkey, Malaysia, Qatar, Iran. Who operate in the in the United States on behalf of these regimes, and if the federal government wanted to go after them as foreign agents under existing Department of Justice rules and, and legislation, they could. They're not doing it. So again, enforce it, and a lot of a lot of bad people will be behind bars or deported or fight or whatever. You could decimate the foreign lo- foreign lobbying operation in this country uh, by enforcing FARA. Uh, more more efficaciously. Uh, finally, there's sanctions law. Uh, OFAC is highly selective. This is the Oren Office of Foreign Assets Control. is highly selective about enforcing sanctions law. There are plenty of examples, and we have published many of organisations in this country, especially 501Cs, but also private business and, and, and activists working with sanctioned entities abroad. And when a countries in the news, such as Russia, OFAC enforces. When it's less in the news, such as Iran. Um, You know, everyone knows it's a problem, but there's some leeway in how they deal with it. OFAC is not enforced. There are plenty of examples of activists and figures in the United States working with sanctioned entities in Iran, such as Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps entities and so on, enforce existing law. You'll deal with the extremism problem wonderfully well if you start using the tools that Congress has already provided the executive government with. That's the one side of things. The other side is reform. Uh, and again, Congress can, and assembly members can do a, a great deal here. Um, a big, uh, the the 501c system in America has, has its advantages. It's actually a, it's a lot more transparent than its European counterparts in one sense. It publishes these big tax returns. You don't get this in the UK, for example, where they list uh, how many staff they, uh, they hire, the average salary, where they were spending their money, and so on, but it could be more transparent. At the very least, we want to see greater transparency rules around foreign spending. If you are spending money in places like the Gaza Strip or Kashmir or Syria or Somalia or anywhere where terror groups uh, are, are, are operational, then you should be required to publish all your accounts, all your local partners if you're going to benefit from the public purse, USAID monies on the one hand, just to the general tax benefits of being a 501c, you should be required to tell the public, as a public charity, how this money is being spent so they can check it's not subsidizing terror, subsidizing extremism. Just additional oversight and transparency rules for 501c financial reporting would cause a huge amount of trouble. For extremist networks and their philanthropic uh, 501c infrastructure in, in this country. And there's a whole bunch of other transparency issues like that that I could I can go into another time. Um those are the those are the two 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 big things. Uh but there is just one final one, and that's government funding of radicals. Uh and again, Congress is working on this, but they need to work on it more and, and at the state level as well, for stopping state monies going to these groups as well. It's hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Uh, it's crazy, <laughs> as I think I mentioned earlier. Um, we can really do something about this, and you, and your listeners, can do something about this. Reach out to your congressman. Find out if your, if, if your state government, if your city government, are funding these people, and pressure your lawmakers to get them to stop. And one thing I hope to have for you and your listeners within the next uh, six to eight months is a map of all the radical funding across the United States, from the city level to state to federal, that can serve as a, a base sort of guide for everyone to, to use when contacting their legislators so we can put an end to this madness, this self-destruction.
0: Well, we're looking forward to that product coming out, Sam. And I think all your research that you do um, through the Middle East Forum has been tremendously helpful. I think in shedding light on some of these larger problems, not just from a funding perspective, but from a lobbying and ideological um, perspective as well. So we really appreciate the conversation today, um, your contributions. And if you can maybe just end by telling our listeners how they can read the report again um, and also how they can follow you on social media.
1: Oh, sure. Well, uh, the report is available at focused on Western Islamism, which is a publication of the Middle East forum. The URL for that is simply islamism.news, and you'll see our Hamas report on the, on, on, on the front page. Uh, you can also sign up for our mailing list there or at any uh, my Twitter, if you want to follow me or if you have questions, feel free to get in touch and you can message me on Twitter. It is, my handle is simply Sam Westrop, W-E-S-T-R-O-P. Uh, likewise, you can find my email online pretty easily if you prefer that means as well. I'm very happy to discuss any of this uh, uh, further with, with anyone. Plus, uh, I, if you want data, to, to funding data to, to use for your own efforts on this problem, I'm happy to provide it. So please get in touch if
0: you want. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sam. And we look forward to having you back on the podcast um, in the near future. Um, Unfortunately, it seems every time we're meeting or talking, it's uh, to talk about uh, Islamist funding networks. Um, But I think you're doing very important work. So thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, Namaste. And uh, look forward to uh, joining you all again soon. Thank Thank you.
1: Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at hinduamerican.org donate. Thanks again for listening.